Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck. Four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life, it happens in sports, and I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, Rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and I'm here every Sunday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. As you know, here at Sports Radio 810 WHB, we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. And each week, we delve into things like sportsmanship, mindsets, attitudes, success, failure, winning, losing, winning. That's something that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs have done lately. Last night, the playoff win, and now we'll see what happens today as we wait the outcome of the Buffalo-Cincinnati game to see who the Chiefs play next weekend. Hopefully, Cincinnati wins and the Chiefs will be able to play here. But we'll see. Whoever they play, they'll have to go after it. And uh, we'll see how Patrick Mahomes recovers from his ankle injury, and hopefully he'll be fine to go next weekend. I'm sure he'll be in treatment a lot of hours every day this week. You know, I've been fortunate to be on this show. As I said, I've started my 32nd year on radio here just recently and 22 years on the radio. I've been very fortunate to have known a lot of people throughout my career. And throughout this career, I've, I've established relationships with people in the sports world as well as outside of it. And what I like about what I do is I get to know people, athletes, coaches, as, as, as people, who they are. And throughout this journey, the 41 years I've been in practice, um, I've had the privilege to work with so many great organizations, great people. Those of you who've listened to the show before know I began my career. My first job was at the University of Kansas, starting with the track teams. And after two years of work with the track teams, I was hired to work with the uh, whole athletic department. While I was there, I got to work with a number of the teams got to know a lot of athletes who I've still stayed in touch with throughout the years. And one of those athletes has become a very successful coach and manager. His name's Rob Thompson. He is the manager for the National League Champion World Series participants, the Philadelphia Phillies, and he's been kind enough to join us this morning. Rob, how are you, my friend? How are you doing? 
Very good, Andy. How are you this morning? Well, I'm happy because the Chiefs won yesterday. I know you're probably yeah. you're probably bummed because KU lost in basketball, but uh, I am. Yeah. yeah. What? How long has it been since you've been to a game there? Um, you know, it was before before COVID. Um, when I left Kansas, I probably didn't come back for a few years, but once I started to come back, I tried to come back once a year and you know catch a football game or catch a a base uh, a basketball game. Could never catch a baseball game just because we're playing at the same time. But uh, always, you know, try to come back once a year, spend a weekend here, uh, visit with old friends and teammates, and uh, I just love the Kansas City area, and I love going back on campus and uh, you know seeing the campus, seeing old friends, seeing uh, all the places we used to run around, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Well, here you are, the manager of the of the National League champion World Series participants Philadelphia Phillies what's that like what's that like to hear that yeah it's it's kind of surreal you know um, I never really expected it uh, going into the year in fact ever since I'd left the Yankees I really didn't think about managing all that much um, and I really didn't think about managing much prior to that but uh, once I left the Yankees I thought well I'm just you know I'm gonna finish my career as a bench coach and I I've been in the game almost 40 years and, and um, had a lot of been fortunate to be around a, a lot of really uh, great players and great teams. And so we've, as groups, we've had a lot of success and, uh, you know, it's been a, a nice run. But, um, yeah, so I, I really didn't, you know, I really wasn't thinking about it. And then it happened and, uh, you know, our club got on a really good run and we played really well and we got healthy and we uh, just started playing the way we thought we'd play coming out of spring training and, and uh, you know, took us to the World Series. So it was a nice run. We met back in the early 80s. You were the catcher on KU's baseball team, and I can still see you in your catching uniform on the bench when I'd sit on the bench during games. And um, Marty Patton, Skip uh, James were the coaches. And uh, I know I've stayed in touch with a number of players on that team as well. There was a very strong camaraderie on that team, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And, you know, I've said all along, I thought we were – we had a very good team, but, you know, it was the Big Eight then, and, and there were a lot of excellent teams in the Big Eight, very talented teams. So Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Nebraska, they were, they were all very strong. But uh, uh, we did have a good group. We had really good team chemistry. I thought that, uh, you know, we, uh, we played hard and we had each other's backs all the time and held each other accountable. And those are the things you got to do if you're going to be successful. We just, you know, we're just a little less talented than, than – um, what other teams had, but uh, all in all, I thought we were, we were we were a pretty talented club. Your team was very open to uh, letting me join the team, work with the team, and, and and talk to you guys about the mental side of sports. What do you recall about that? Because that was at the very beginning of my career, and um, you guys were very open minded to it. Yeah, and I, you know, I I think at the collegiate level at that time, I think that was something that um, that. Uh, everybody was open to at the professional level. It's taking some time, but it, it's coming. And, and I think uh, more and more, everybody is, is buying into, you know, not only training yourself physically, but also mentally and emotionally. But uh, all I, you know, I remember having team meetings with you and, and, and personally, um, you know, you, you made a tape for me to, to help me relax at night to go to sleep and help me relax prior to games. And, I just felt like it was, for me 
personally, it, it helped me immensely just to relax and to focus and, and uh, you know, stay confident at all times. You know, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. Baseball, and having been the team psychologist for the Royals a couple of times, initially in 1990 when I was one of the first sports psychologists in Major League Baseball, you know, the pressures at the Major League level are intense. The money, the fame, the notoriety. Uh, You've been involved. You were with the Yankees for, what, almost 30 years. You've been with the Phillies now for about four or five years and became manager this year. How do you how do you describe the pressures that a major league athlete has, Rob? Especially on a team as successful as yours was this year. Yeah, that's you know it's not only at the major league level. I think there's um, there's a lot of pressure at the minor league level because those guys are trying to get to the big leagues. So there, that's an added pressure right there. And I I've seen guys that uh, have struggled a little bit in AAA because you know they're they're so close to the big leagues that they, you know, uh, you know, they can't get their mind off of that. And they're trying to do too much and, and put extra pressure on themselves. And once they get to the big leagues, it's like, okay, now I can relax and go play. And they end up actually playing a little bit better. But yeah, at the big league level, there's so many, you know, with us, especially coming out of spring training, there's so many expectations on us because, um, you know, we thought we, we had a talented club and there's going to be more expectations on us this year. And I think that, for me, my mess, one of the messages I'm going to have to our club is that expectations are good, and you, you, you've, got to, um, you've got to like expectations. It probably means that you're a pretty good club. And the, the, the problem you run into is if you're not very good and there's high expectations, then that's, that's a different type of pressure. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you're on TV every day. You're in the spotlight. People are looking at you. You know, you get with us, we get anywhere from 20 to 48,000 people in the ballpark every night. And, and the Philly fans are, are tough, and I love them. They'll let you know. If you're not playing well, they'll let you know. But if you play well, they'll let you know that too. But the pressures of, you know, the money, uh, longevity, you got a family to feed, um, you've got expectations as a, as a individual, as a group. Um, there's a lot going on, and, and you got to just, kind of calm the waters at all times and, and stay calm, stay poised, so you can stay focused and, and be able to, to uh, contribute and, and, and play at the highest level possible. Joining me this morning is National League manager, champion of the National League, World Series participant, Philadelphia Phillies manager Rob Thompson. Known Rob for a number of years and really admire his longevity. He's been involved in baseball as a coach forever and this year, for the first time, became a manager at the major league level. And you know, you you told me you probably that you were probably thinking about this might be the end this year of, of, of being in baseball, and then you got named manager. What was that like when uh, you got brought in and told we want you to take over the team after Joe Girardi was fired? Well, the, initially it was it was difficult because you know um, Joe and I have been together for ten years with the Yankees. Uh, I was his third base coach and his bench coach, and, and then, and then I went to Philadelphia. Joe followed me as the manager, and so we spent a lot of time together. And we, you know, we had a lot of great times, playoff runs, World Championship in 2009, and we've had some some difficult times too. You know, where we didn't reach our our goals and our expectations, but so that was tough to take over for a really good friend, um, but. 
uh, I had talked to Joe after he was let go, and and um, Joe was great. He's a pro, and, and he said, you know, you gotta you gotta go on and and do the best you can, and and uh, keep moving forward because they're not gonna cancel the game, so you, we might as well win if we're gonna do it. So, um, you know, and then there, there was a lot going on early. I was trying to figure out my process, my my routine, and. Um, but we, we worked it out, and I leaned on. We have a great coaching staff. I, I, I put our coaching staff up against anybody's, and I leaned on them a lot for information and to make decisions and, and ask questions. And uh, So the transition, um, it took a little bit, but uh, thank God for our coaching staff, and we have a great group of players, and, and they made it really easy for me. Well, one of your coaches has a Kansas City, a strong Kansas City connection, doesn't he? Yeah, Dusty Watham, he's our third base coach and, and uh, I've said for since I've been in Philadelphia this will be my sixth year coming. Um, this guy he's, he's coached throughout the minor leagues, managed throughout the minor leagues, been very successful. He's a unbelievable baseball man. And I think that his time <laughs> he should have been managing the big leagues a long time ago. That's that's my estimation on him and, and uh, I think he will and I think he will do an unbelievable job when he gets there. Well he's got some strong lineage. His dad John Wathen was the Royals manager in 1990 when I started as a sports psychologist with baseball and, and Duke as he's called was very open to have me there and I've still stayed in touch with him over the years. He's been a guest on my show a number of times and obviously a strong baseball family. So so Rob you know we're going to go to our first break here in a minute. When I come back I want to, I want to talk about pressure and how you've handled pressure as a as a player, then then a coach, and now as a manager, what what is pressure? What it, what is it about? And how do you deal with that? Because what I find with so many athletes and so many teams is that the ones who se- seem to be able to handle that better can s- survive and thrive more. They they use it as a motivator, as a positive, rather than a, a, as an obstacle and a barrier. So I want to get into that when we come back from our first break. Here, I'm speaking with National League champion manager. Rob Thompson, Philadelphia Phillies. Love to hear our numbers, 913-3810-810. We'll be back in a moment here on The Leader in Sports. Sports Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. I'm in my 32nd year in radio. And uh, joining me today, I'm lucky to have the manager of the National League champion Philadelphia Phillies, Rob Thompson joining us for the, throughout the show to talk about his career, about baseball, about mindsets and things like that. I've known Rob for since the early 1980s, a long time. And uh, actually, he'll still talk to me after all these years. That's, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. You know, um, I work, Rob, with lots of high school kids and um, with the dream of playing professionally. Uh, lots, I mean, tons of them. And um, throughout my career, I've had many that have, have gone on Several who've made it to the major leagues. Um, a lot of them flame out. A lot of them have all kinds of different reasons why. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's mental. Let's talk about development. You know, do you, do you, let me ask this question. Do you think we start kids at baseball at too young of an age in terms of traveling teams and pressure? You know, you've got youth leagues, rec leagues. Then you, you get to, you know, traveling teams, club teams, things like that. What age do you think kids should start playing baseball at a competitive level? I'm, I'm not talking about just the fun part. I'm talking about the competitive part. 
Geez, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I I started playing baseball when I was five years old. Of course, I had some older brothers, so, um, you know, they, they'd take me on the backyard and help me out and play with me. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. But, um, you know, and everybody handles that a little bit differently, and you don't know where the pressure's coming from, whether it's from, you know, you want to do well yourself or your, the pressure's coming from your parents or your coaches or your teammates or whatever it is. Um, but, I, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I really don't know the answer to that. Well, the reason I'm, a- the reason I'm asking, first of all, I mean, you're the manager of the nationally champion Phillies, so you've obviously reached just a notch below the top pinnacle winning the World Series, but you were there, you played six games, you've been in the World Series as a champion with the Yankees, so you know what it's about. I I, I feel... And this is my opinion. I want to see what you think. I, I think we put too much pressure on young kids now. And now I'm 68 years old, and you're you're you've been around a long time too, not quite as long as me. But when I grew up, there weren't all these competitive leagues and things going on. Kids got to play. They got you never see kids at a, at a park or a grade school just playing anymore. Group of kids without parental supervision. You know, you go. There's always an organized practice going on. And I think the idea of play. Sort of gone from from our society for kids in terms of sports. Everything's structured and organized, and I think that takes away a lot of the fun part. And I, I, you know, there's a tremendous amount of burnout amongst kids by the time they're 12 and 13 years of age. A, a majority of them quit quit their sports. So I want to see what you think about that. Yeah, and I I think too, Andy. I think that I'm a big proponent of people of kids playing different sports, and and I think one of the things that's going on in uh, today is that you know whether you're a baseball player or a basketball player a hockey player a football player whatever tennis um they're going they're playing that sport year-round whether they're you know uh, indoor in the winter and and on one of these traveling teams during the during the summer i'd just like to see kids be able to play different sports and they can get their mind off of that sport the one sport for just a short period of time so they can go play something else and and you learn a little bit about different sports by playing other sports. I, I really believe that. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, we get our guys, and, and a lot of our guys have played other sports, um, played football, they play basketball. Some, you know, J.T. Romuto was a wrestler in high school, played football in high school, played baseball in high school. And I think, I think it gives you a chance to just relax on one sport, focus on another. I think that takes a little bit of pressure off you, too. So, you know, from that perspective, I get, you know, with baseball players, high school baseball players, they're training year-round. And, yeah. of course, they've got the, at that point, that's their sport. That's what they want to do. When should they take a break? I mean, you know, there's, there's high, the high school players have a high school season, then they're on a club season all summer long, goes into yeah. fall, fall ball, then they're training. What do you think about taking a break when when should they and what should that be like you know you you've made it to the pinnacle you've been a world series champion at the yankees you've managed the phillies now in the world series you you you're around bryce harper one of the greatest players in the league or in, in all baseball what's your perspective on that yeah it's, you know with our guys uh, as soon as the season's over they take two three weeks off and they don't do a thing and it's a little bit different for everybody but typically it's two three maybe a month off and then they start training again but they you have to give your body a rest. You have to give your mind a rest. Your, the emotional side of 
of what just happened. Whether you won the World Series or got beaten the World Series or didn't make the playoffs, uh, there's an emotional attachment to that that they got to get rid of and they got to just relax and and so that they come back fresh and strong and and uh, you know get after it again. Um, I I don't <laughs> typically in my uh, position um, I, I don't whether I was a bench coach or the or the manager really um, I don't really get much time off and and I feel it at times and I feel like I need some time. So I think all everybody should at least. Um, take some time off as soon as your season's over just to just to flush your system physically, mentally, and emotionally. The pressure now on high school kids is immense. I'm seeing this, you know, and I want to get into social media here with that. Um, mm. You know, when obviously when you when you and I grew up, when I met you in the 80s, social media didn't exist. The, the pressures from external sources wasn't around like it is today. And you know, you're, every, everything you do as a major league manager is scrutinized. You've got the, the uh, broadcasters who are talking about it, TV and radio. Of course, you're in Philadelphia, which is a very difficult place to, to play and manage because of the scrutiny. You can get anything you do that is, people disagree on. It's talked about all over the place. But with social media today, um, what's your opinion on, on, on the value of that and the, the, the derogatory aspect of that? Because... I tell all the pro athletes I work with, stay off social media during your season. Yep. Don't don't get on it. Don't read it. Don't listen to it. Don't don't you know read it, because I think you know if you do well, everybody's telling you how awesome you are, and these are people that don't know you, but they're the same people. When you screw up, will tell you what a terrible person you are. So make your yep. thoughts on that. Yeah, I I we do the same thing. We tell our guys, you know, if if you can't, con- we tell our guys all the time. Control what you can control, and that's it. And things you can't control, you can't worry about. Can't affect you. So if you if you can't control your emotions by reading something negatively, stay off social media. Stay off it. Don't look at it. You know, don't even look at it when you're going good because because that can change you a little bit too, and that can put a little bit more pressure on you. But I have a social media account. I don't use it. I don't tweet anything. I don't. But what I the reason I use it is I want to know what you know the sports writers and everybody's really talking about so that i can be prepared to talk about that um but i don't read any of the comments or because i just it doesn't matter to me i can't control it and uh, so we tell our guys just stay off it don't read it um if you read it you better be able to 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 flush it and be able to control it because it'll it'll affect your mind the pressures that i think social media puts on young kids today are immense and at the professional level, obviously, I think there's an understanding of that. But at, at the high school level, especially, the pressures on these kids, you know, if, if, they, if you strike out, the base is loaded, in the, in the ninth inning your team loses, you go to school the next day and everybody's going to ask you, why'd you, why'd you strike out? What's wrong? Yeah. So as a, as a manager, how do you handle, how do you help guys deal with pressure? Because let's face it, I know – 1990, when I was with the Royals, uh, I got to watch George Brett win his third batting title. Early in the year, he wasn't batting very well, and then he got it together and put it together and ended up winning on his last at-bat of the year. We were in Cleveland, and he pinch hit, got a single, and then he was neck-and-neck neck with Ricky Henderson. He beat him by percentage points. And I watched, you know, I mean, let's face it, George Brett's one of the greatest players ever to put, put on a baseball uniform. Obviously, the greatest Absolutely. is a Royal. In fact, my younger son's name, Gregory Brett Jacobs, I named him after him. And just 
I admired him so much and just the way he handled that. So you see a difference with guys like that, like a Bryce Harper, don't you? Then, then say the guys that come and go, what, what is it about them that allows them to handle that and deal with that pressure? I think, um, I think with, with everybody's going to go through, you know, bad times during the course of the year. And it might happen two or three times in a baseball season to play 162 games. The really good ones, the great ones, you see that in those rough times, that window's very, it's a lot shorter than, or smaller than the guys that aren't as talented. Uh, I think what alleviates the pressure the most is that they have the belief that they're going to come out of it at some point. They know that. They just have to keep working, have to keep grinding, have to, you know, staying prepared, keep competing. And my dad used to always say, if you're not going well, get lost in the team. Do something for the team. Run a ball out, back up a base, get a dirt ball read, get, you know, take an extra base if you happen to walk or get hit by a pit. Um, so I think if, if you think that way, as you're, if you're not going well and the pressure's getting on you, just get, just get lost in the team and do something for the team. It might be, it might be just patting another guy on the back that's not going well too. You're, you're contributing. And I, I think that alleviates a lot of the pressure and it gets your mind off of what you're doing personally. And then, and then you'll come out of it. The best athletes have routines, don't they, that they use and they, they work on. I know uh, years ago when you were at the Yankees, you were in town, we were going to go meet at a Starbucks and you called me and said, I got to change our, our time because you need to take Derek Jeter out to the stadium. It was the first day here to hit ground balls to him, hit fungos to him in the infield. You got to be around a guy like that. What what was it about him that stood out that made him so great? Well, I, I think routine is, is a great word because um, he was very routine-oriented. All our guys are, but Derek was really on spot with his routines. He did the same thing every day, maybe a little bit of adjustment from day to day depending on what was going on, but he was very consistent and very disciplined uh, in the way he went about his business. And then, you know, he was a guy that could, that he knew that, you know, he can't control everything and don't worry about the things you can't control. Just, just do the things you can control and, and you'll be a great player. And he was, he was, he was as consistent. I had him when he was, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old in, in uh, a ball in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I say this all the time, from the time I first met him until the time he retired, he never changed. His routine didn't change. His approach to the game didn't change. Uh, his respect for the game didn't change. And, and when I, I think about respect in, in baseball, I like Derek's face comes up in front of me because he respected his organization, who he was playing for, the NY on his, on his chest. And he respected his teammates and his coaches, manager. He respected his opponents and umpires and the media and the fans. And he just, he was just kind of a machine. He just went about his business and, and stayed relaxed and stayed poised and kept the same routine, very disciplined, uh, very consistent. And, uh, you know, he's one of the greatest players that to ever play the game. And, and the guys that can do that, I think have the chance to, to overachieve whatever their talent is, their talent is, but, if they can stay consistent, discipline, have great routine, uh, I think they're going to, whatever their talent level is, they're, they're going to end up overachieving. 
I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest this morning is Rob Thompson. He's the manager of the National League champion Philadelphia Phillies. Great to have Rob on the show. I've known him for a long time. In fact, we hadn't seen each other for a long time, and I, as I've shared on this show uh, many times, Tom Gordon, a great pitcher, uh, worked with me. Tom's been on the show with me. Flash's been on with me many times. And, uh, great man. We had him in New York. Unbelievable. Love him. And that's when I that's when we ran into each other because I came down to spring training to work with him, and all of a sudden I'm standing off during a workout, and I hear you yelling my name and come over to me, and it's like, oh my god, I haven't <laughs> seen you forever. And <laughs> yeah, I re- I remember that very vividly. And um, you know, th- let's talk about Flash for a minute. Mariano Rivera, two of the best relievers ever, and uh, Tom had, of course, the major league record, fifty four saves in a row with the Red Sox. And then he came over and pitched with you guys for for quite a while as the setup guy for Rivera. There were two guys who had routines that worked, right? They, they were very consistent. They were very set in their ways. They understood the difference between success and failure. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, and the great thing about Flash was that when he came to New York, he didn't worry about closing games. He knew that Mariano was a closer. Uh, he had had that record in, in Boston, and it would have been easy for a lot of guys to kind of go, wait a minute, I, you know, I just – I'd say 54 games in a row, why am I not the closer? Why am I not in the same conversation? But he knew how great Mariano was, and, and he took that role, and he flourished with it. But both those guys, very consistent. Um, Mariano was as cool of a cucumber as you will ever meet. I mean, nothing seemed to bother him. He just believed in his stuff, and he knew that there were going to be times that he got beat. And if you look at you know all the saves, I tell all our relievers, all the saves Mariano had. I mean, everybody thinks of Mariano saved every game he ever pitched in. Just that's what they think. But if you look at the blown saves he's had, there's a lot of those out there. But he, it never bothered him. I mean, he, he hated to lose, but um, when he got to the ballpark the next day, he knew that it was a new day, and, and he believed in his stuff. And he was just going to go out there and put his game on autopilot, and whatever happens, happens. That's that's what I want to get into with you now for a second before we go to our next break. The the whole way of handling failure. Okay, baseball is a game of failure. Like I said, George Brett, Hall of Famer, career batting average around three thirty, which means you know he was successful one out of every three times, basically getting a hit. But but one of the things I always tell people when I work with especially hitters, what's a quality at bat? You know, did you did you battle the pitcher? Did you foul a bunch of pitches? Did you did you you know, hit the ball hard. Just because you hit the ball hard doesn't mean it's going to fall in for a hit. So we always talk about quality at bats. And with pitchers, the same thing, quality quality pitching. And I think the effort part, it, to me, I, I have a saying, Rob, FOE versus FOR. In fact, I have one of the Chiefs Super Bowl uh, jerseys, one of the players I've worked with in my office, and on his jersey he has, thanks, Andy, FOE. FOE stands for focus on effort. FOR stands for focus on results. Tell us the right. difference between those for you. Yeah, I think, uh, and I always talk about putting your body in autopilot, and that's exactly what it is. It's just do what you can do. Um, the results are going to be there most of the time. Um, sometimes they're not, and you have to understand that. I think if you can really understand that people fail, I mean, how many, you know, everybody looks at Michael Jordan and says, oh, he was, he was a uh, pressure guy, made all these last-second shots to win games. We missed a lot, too. But he came back. He knew that you know he was talented enough to come back the next day, and if he had the same opportunity, he was he was going to do it. Um, I I, excuse me, I I always uh, ask my clients, 
Do you know what record Kobe Bryant broke two years before he retired? You know what that was? I don't. Most missed shots in the history of the NBA, and he played two more years. <laughs> That's right. So there you go, right? Yeah. But you but you got to believe in yourself, and, and, and I know that's tough to do for everybody, but I think if you understand that you're going to fail and you just have to dust yourself off, get back up there, and, and go after it again, if you do that, you're, you know, you're going to overachieve. I'm fortunate enough this morning to have Rob Thompson with me. He's the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, National League Champions. We'll come back from this last break. We're going to talk about the importance of mental health in, in sports today, mental health in baseball and why it's become such a prominent issue and why it's necessary to talk about it and deal with it. It's an, it, it Obviously, as a sports psychologist, what I do with all the time, I've talked about it for years, but now it's become prominent in our discussions and why it's important. Join me, listening. We're in the leader in sports, Sports Radio 8. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Our shows are podcasted everywhere. You can also hear them on my website, winnersunlimited.com. And today I've been lucky enough to have a great guy on the show with me. His name is Rob Thompson. He's the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, National League Champions. And Rob's been kind enough to join us the whole show. I've known Rob for, gosh, let's see, that was about 80, 1983, 84, Rob. I've known you 40, Almost 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, you've been kind enough to stay in touch with me a number of these years. I really appreciate that. And uh, one of the things I always, I, I want to get into this about you for a minute. One of the things about you that I always liked was, you know, when you talk about athletes, there's the egos. Everybody has an ego. But I don't, I don't see you going out and flaunting who you are and all that type of stuff. You're a very down-to-earth guy, very even-keeled guy. And that was one of the things that I, I've known about you. But I heard an interview with Bryce Harper as you guys made a World Series run, a playoff run. And one of the things he'd said about you was, you know, that he liked about you was you're even-keeled guy. You didn't get really high or real low. If you guys played well or played poorly, you're the same same way. Why why is that, and why do you think that works? Well, I, you know, again, we, you know, you get back to pressure, and, and you don't know where the pressure's coming from for each of these players. But um, if if I'm out of control, if I'm not, um, if I'm letting pressure affect me, it's going to affect the the players it's it's going to i see it all the time so whatever's going on inside of me i try to you know keep a straight face and, and just keep moving forward and stay relaxed and so i can make the proper decisions but um you know when i first started um coaching uh i was in spring training with the tigers it was 1989 or something 88 maybe and the Tigers offered me a coaching position in the minor leagues, and so I agreed to it. And the farm director at the time, his name was Joe McDonald. He'd been in baseball for years and, and uh, just a wonderful man, and I appreciate him giving me the opportunity. But uh, he said, now listen, he said, you're crossing a fence here. You're going from a player to a coach. So for the rest of your life, for the rest of your coaching career, it's not about you anymore. It's about the players. It's about everybody else. That's great advice, if I can interject. That's just tremendous advice. Yeah, and he said, if you take that approach every day, you're going to have success because he knew that I had some baseball knowledge and some work ethic, and, and I've always had that approach. It's not about me. It's about the players. The players win and lose games. You know, We make decisions that win and lose games at times, but for the most part, the players win and lose games, and, and 
Uh, I do everything I can on a daily basis. I always have since I started coaching to, to help each and every individual get better. And when your players can do the same thing, when it's not so much about them as it is about their teammates and taking care of others, uh, it takes a little pressure off of them individually. So I've always had that approach, and, and, and I, think, um, I think our players have kind of clung to that a little bit, and, and uh, our, a lot of our players are that way. They're, they're really good teammates, and they think about each other. They care about each other. They have each other's backs, and, and I think that's why we have a lot of success. How important is being a leader for you? Uh, you know, obviously, there are only just over 30 guys doing what you do, managers at the manager of a major league baseball team. But but how important is, is that to be a leader? And where does that play into your role in terms of how you share things with the players when things are going poorly as well as things are going well? Yeah, I think it's it's super important. You know, and, and it's not just me, but it's our entire coaching staff. And like I said, they're we have a great coaching staff, and and we take the uh, approach every day that that uh, we're going to be very consistent in how we do things, and we're not going to. Uh, when I walk through the clubhouse, I'm calm and I'm talking to guys and, and um, trying to make sure that they're calm and they're focused. And, and uh, if you're consistent with that, and um, you know the calm, poised approach, I, I think it, it feeds off of your players, and and, and they tend to do the same things you just validated something i've said for years uh, a good coach is a good psychologist a bad coach needs a sports psychologist and a good coach checks his or her ego at the door a good coach checks his or her ego at the door yep. what, what, what do you think about that i do I, I mean and we talk about it all the time and you know we've we've got um our the leader of our mental skills program her name is cc Kraft. she came from uh, the Army, and, and she ended up being with the Cleveland Indians, and now she's with us, and she's fantastic. And she's got a group of people under her a group in the minor league. She's got three or four people that that um, are dealing with minor league players, making sure they stay focused and, and relaxed. And we have a guy at the major league level. His name is Todd Dilbeck, uh, former um, wrestling coach, uh, Army guy. Uh, he is wonderful, too, and, and they do so much work just you know, behind the scenes, uh, very confidential stuff. They do some team stuff, but uh, a lot of individual work, and they they do a wonderful job, and, and they help us out, out immensely. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, when I started working, I'm basically one of the very first trained sports psychologists in the country. And uh, your, your baseball team at the University of Kansas accepted me pretty openly right away. I, I was surprised how, how easily it was to work with you guys. And... You know, the, the mental health aspect of sports now um, has has become talked about, obviously, because of, you know, everything from Kevin Love to Michael Phelps to Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka. It's it's come out. Athletes, you know, I've said this, athletes are people. They're not any different than anybody else. They just happen to be, be very uh, lucky to have skills, physical skills and mental skills in a sport. But they're still people. And yep. they've got to deal with the pressures. Of course, you're, you're you're in a very difficult place to play Philadelphia when things aren't going well. The fans, the fans are not fun to be around. I know that from several players I work with over the years. Um, how important is is mental health now, Rob? And you you you've obviously been aware of it for years. But from from your role as a manager, how important is mental health in sports today? And and not just at, at the professional level, but all the way down to younger levels. And like you said, 
the Phillies have a, a mental health team, which I think every team should, every college and professional team should have, and high school should have accessibility to that as well. How important is the mental health aspect of sports today? I think it's huge, and, and like you said, you know, players, whether it's baseball or whatever sport you're playing, they're at the end of the day, they're people, and they have feelings, and they have pressures, and they have all this stuff that's going on in their lives that that they, you know, it helps to talk it out, and, and it helps your, your ability to focus and, and play at the highest ability um, just by talking it out and talking to people, and uh, so I think it's huge, and, and you know, we, we had a situation this year during the World Series. We had a, I won't say his name, we had a pitcher who was, he doesn't get a whole lot of recognition, not nationally anyway, he's one of our bullpen pitchers. And he was on high heat with Chris Russo that day. And I asked him afterwards, I said, how'd it go? He said, he said I, I just blacked out. I was so nervous because I don't do this stuff all that much. And I said, well, that's the way it is. You'll get, you'll get used to it after a while. So, that night, I happened to bring him in the game in a, in a tight situation and uh, high leverage, and I handed him the ball, and I said, now listen, understand, you're not on high heat here. <laughs> just, go, just go about your business, put your, put your game on autopilot, and just, just play, and he, he kind of laughed. I was going to say, he probably looked at you and smiled. Okay, that's great. Yeah. You know, but those are things that I learned from from Todd and from Cece and from you and all the people that I talk about is just trying to relieve that pressure whenever you can. So for me to be able to do that, I really have to know my guys and I really have to know what makes them tick, what bothers them, what, what makes them feel good so that I can, I can go to that when I need to. You know, it will look, I'm a little bit biased. I've known you for years. That's why I think you've been so successful and, that's why you did the job you do. I mean, you took over this team. You're what six games under 500, wasn't that what it was? Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly, but something like that. And then you guys won what ten or eleven in a row? Eight in a row. Eight. Coming out of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a reason for that, and and I think we're hearing it from you in terms of what you're sharing about yourself today. Um, I want to ask you three definitions. Um, I just want to straight straight out answer what they are. What what's your definition? What's the first one? What's your definition of winning? Uh, playing at your at your ability. If you if you play at your ability, for me, you're a winner. Losing uh, when you don't play to your ability, and um, and you know the score. You may win the game, but you didn't play like a, a didn't play as a teammate. Didn't help each other. Didn't help another guy out. I think you've lost that that game for you personally. And the last one, self-confidence. Um, yeah, knowing what your abilities are and believing in it and being, staying consistent with it. All right, those are those are great answers. I obviously agree with you 100%. W- what is it going to take for a, a young person who has the aspirations to play collegiately, maybe play professionally when they're in high school, Mentally, what should they do? What what should be their game plan? What should be their focus? And what should be their direction? Oof, that's a good question. Well, I'm sorry. I've got to ask some tough ones. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in Kansas again. I'm just going through an exam. But, um, uh, you know, I that's, 
I'd have to think about that one for a while. I really would. Okay. Well, the there's reason, so many aspects to it, you know. Well, that's that's yeah, that's the whole thing. Is I think, like I said, and as we wrap up here, that I, I want to try to pull an answer out of you because here's the thing: there's there's thousands of high school baseball players in this country and Canada, where you're from, who have this dream of getting to college and playing and maybe playing professionally. I, like I said earlier in the show, you can have two athletes are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. A stronger mind yeah. to me, I think, is a reflection of everything you've said today. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. You know, and getting back to the original question, I think, you know, if, if a player trains as hard as he can and does the physical part side of it, and so physically, if you prepare, it, it's it's not just, in a batting cage or or on a mound or running around a, a track to stay in shape or getting in the weight room and watching video. It's also, you know, getting the proper rest. We've done a lot of sleep studies now, and it's very important to get your rest and, and eating the right foods and things like that. And So that's the kind of the physical part of it. And then the mental part of it is, is huge. And um, getting with someone and talking with someone so that you understand exactly who you are, what your abilities are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, um, and being able to stay focused uh, on a consistent basis so that you can, you know, you can put your game on autopilot when you go out to, to perform it. If you can do those things, I think the emotional part of your game will just be there, you know. Um, and if you can control all those things, you know, you Whatever your talent level is will take you wherever, but uh, I think you're going to overachieve and you're going to uh, get to a better place than than what you know the same the same guy with the same level of, of, of physicality, but he doesn't have the mental side. He's not going to get there. So I think if you can do those two things, I, I think you're you're doing what you need to do. With about thirty seconds left here, Rob, so you would encourage people to talk to someone like me as a sign of strength I, rather than a sign of weakness. Absolutely, and I, you know, and I think at the high school, college level, it, it's 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 been really um, taken in, and, and people are using it. And I think at the with us in baseball, you know, when it first started, when we first started out, mental skills coaches, it was kind of like you know everybody was kind of backing off and seeing what what is this all about. But I think they're they're taking to it now, and I, I think because of that, we're having healthier players. Rob Thompson, manager of National League champion Philadelphia Phillies, I cannot thank you enough, my friend, for being on the show with me today. This has been awesome. You have you have definitely given some great advice for a lot of young people today who listen to this show. I want to thank you, my friend, and, of course, we'll stay in touch. I appreciate the time. Andy, thank you for having me, and thank you for all the help that you gave me as a, as a player at, at University of Kansas. All right, my friend, take care. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is Sports Psychology Hour. hope you like the show. You can listen to our podcast everywhere, especially on my website, winnersunlimited.com. And you can always reach me at my office, 816-561-5556. Take care.